Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning, everyone. It's another Thursday morning, and I'm Francie Keeler. Welcome to the show. I am delighted today to uh, have Carol Herman join me. Carol is the um, mm, founder and president and chairman of the board of a foundation, a foundation called Foundation Aiding the Elderly. F-A-T-E, Foundation Aiding the Elderly. And I'm just, I'm just so excited. She's a, a, a welcome comeback guest, and there's a lot happened in the, in the years that uh, she and I spoke on this show. And she's going to be talking about all kinds of things because she's had multiple media appearances, TV, radio, um, all kinds of newspaper articles written about her. And she's been guest speaker everywhere and uh, testified before the state legislature and received awards for all the work she's done. So I'm really anxious to catch up with what she does. She is a person that helps protect uh, our, our friends and family who are in nursing homes. Welcome, Carol. Thank you for having me on the show today. I appreciate it. Well, I'm excited. As we talked the other day, I'm, I'm excited about catching up because you have done so many things. So, um, first of all, t- you know, well, tell us how you got to this place because I know you've been um, you've been advocating for elderly for a long time. But how did you get to fate? Well, what happened was back in um, around the end of 1981, I had a family member, my aunt, who was very, very close to me. She was like my second mother. And she went to a new doctor, and all of a sudden she started taking all these medications. And we, my family, we were all questioning, well, what are all these drugs you're taking? Because we weren't aware of you know, the problems with uh, over-medicating, especially the elderly. And she was mm-hmm. like almost 80 years old at the time. So uh, what, the, what happened is that she got so disoriented by all the medications that she was taking that she fell and broke her hip, and that was the end of my poor aunt. She went in and had hip replacement surgery and then went into a, a local nursing home. I'm in Sacramento, California. She went into a nursing home for rehab, only she never got the rehab. She got more drugs. Um, and at the time, you know, we're talking about 1982. And in those years, you know, most people, well, nobody's really knew much about nursing homes. They had not been exposed uh, in 1982. So, um, you know, we asked questions why she wasn't talking, and the operators of the facility lied to us. And she was not the typical patient. Typical nursing home patient is... Um, on, on Medi-Cal or Medicaid, mm-hmm. um, family maybe doesn't come in and visit very much. My aunt was just opposite. She was private pay, paying a lot of money for her care, and she had family with her every single day. Had a large family. Everybody took t- turns going and visit her. And they we were just lied to and didn't know. And then I finally got a, a phone call from... Uh, the nurse at the facility that they were taking her to a hospital for surgery. And, of course, we what what are you taking her to a hospital for? And they said, well, she's got a decubitus ulcers. We said, well, what is that? We had never heard of that, and it was their bed sores. Mm-hmm. Common is a bed sore. And we said, bed sore, what is that? Well, she never survived that surgery. She died. Oh, my goodness. Uh, she, she was so weak. She had, she had a, her, her blood was septic. The, the wound was so deep it went into her bloodstream and poisoned her and she really died from the infected bed sore which was at the highest level that they staged bed sores which is a stage four. So when that happened we were shocked, just absolutely horrified. So I was in the software business at the time um, running a software company and 
But I took it upon myself to start investigating nursing homes because I thought, what is going on in these places? We thought it was like an acute hospital. So I went on this mission and learned the system. And then we had an autopsy performed. Um, um, then I, after the autopsy showed what her cause of death was, I prepared a very extensive complaint because I believe in, you know, documentation. And I took it to the head of the department and filed an official complaint. However, what happened is he stonewalled me for over a year Mm. and um, finally sent me a letter that the facility, the nursing home, didn't do anything wrong and didn't cause her death. Well, I thought that was totally wrong. So I went after him. The attorney general's office got involved, and he was... um, Lost his job. He was found guilty of lying, uh, etc. And he lost his job. He was fired from the state of California, which doesn't happen very... It never happens that they fired him. Right. And after he went through his due process, um, and he it was all upheld, he could never work for a government agency again, lost his pension. He immediately went to work for the nursing home industry. And I went, oh my God, they're in bed together. Why would this official wow. that was supposed to be investigating them gets caught lying and falsifying records and then he goes to work for the industry. So that really fueled me to start this organization and that was took me a couple of years to accomplish that. So so meanwhile, fast forward, we've we've served now probably about eighty five hundred families throughout the country mm. and we have clients in every state. So it's you know, gotten worse. Carol, Go it's just—it's such a wake-up call because most of us around these days are in that middle generation where we have—we're taking care of our children, taking care of our parents, and probably not paying closely enough attention to what's going on if the parents are in a care facility. Exactly. Well, you know, nobody. Normally, of course, things have changed over the past 30-plus years, but normally people don't have... Nursing homes, they don't even plan on that. They see an article in the paper, it's always negative because it's a horrible situation what's happening, and mm-hmm. people just over don't read it because it's not a sexy topic, it's the end of a life, nobody wants to deal with it. So people are not prepared and they don't know, the, the biggest problem is they don't know what their rights are when they do have a family member in a nursing home. So the industry takes advantage of the families because most families don't have the knowledge. So, um, and nobody wants to deal with the end of life. It, it's a difficult right. situation to deal with. And when I started this and tried to get the press involved, oh, I mean, nobody would pick it up for years. Hmm. And I'd say about the last maybe 15 years, it's been more attention. It's getting more and more attention, especially now with the COVID and, you know, the so-called all the deaths that are happening in nursing homes in this country because of COVID. So Mm -hmm. more and more people now are in tune to it. I, uh, like you said, uh, I thought, well, when the baby boomers, you know, I'm going back 30-something years, when the baby Mm -hmm. boomers, you know, approach retirement age, it's just going to just expand, and it's just going to blow up, and it has mm-hmm. because we have the largest gener- you know, the largest population now are people over sixty-five. So, you know, these are the people that are going to need to know what's going on in that environment to protect themselves. Yeah, so, you know, it's scary. Um, it's scary because you know, as you, I mean, look at what happened in New York with COVID and the nursing homes and and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's rampant. I know that you work with yeah. Jane Kyles, um, and she often handles uh, claims against nursing homes, and they're just, they're ugly. They're just really ugly. Yeah, it really is. And you know, uh, I come from a family of lawyers. I've got a lot, several lawyers in my family, and when I talked to them, you know, years ago about you know lawsuits, uh, we did not want to sue anybody when this happened to my aunt. I just wanted to find out how these nursing homes were licensed so I could go to the government that monitor is supposedly monitoring nursing homes in this country and find out what was going on and report this to them. I went to them hoping that they would do something and uh, so it would prevent it from happening to anybody else. You know, my For aunt sure. had a lot of family there, but there were a lot of people in that nursing home 
that had no family. So I'm going, well, what happens to the little lady across the hall that has no family to watch over her? What's happening to her? Right. And in those days, um, basically, there were women in nursing homes. Men, you know, less women, you, we outlive our husbands, and normally we take care of our husbands, and then all of a sudden our husbands died, and there we are. So in the early days, I rarely saw any men in nursing homes. Now it's totally different. I mean, there's just as many men in nursing homes hmm. as there are women, as that industry has gotten bigger and bigger. So, um, you know, it's a it's a not a good situation. Um, obviously, my uh, investigations found that the regulators are laxed in punishing the nursing home industry. Uh, there's a lot of money involved. The, right. I've never met a poor nursing home operator. They're all very wealthy. And um, so they have all the power because they have all the money. And it's really a sad situation. And um, the system also doesn't like private people like I, like my organization. We take no government money. That's what sets us apart. Right. So I don't want to rely, I don't want to rely on the government to fund my nonprofit. So um, it's in our bylaws, no government money will ever come into this organization as long as I'm running it. Because you're, if you start talking too much, and then you're in the press and exposing all this, mm-hmm. then the, your money will be cut off. Unlike the uh, fate, unlike the ombudsman program in this country, the ombudsman program is supposed to be uh, a separate entity that goes in and be the eyes and the ears to help the patient. Well... That's not the case. They're paid by the government. No, it never has worked. I I was involved in three studies by the uh, University of the New England Institute of Medicine back east. Uh, They did three studies over the past 25 years in the uh, effectiveness of the ombudsman program, and their their research found that it's uh, it's not working at all. It's government-run. Uh, they can't do what a private person can do, private uh, industry can do. So, um, you know, they serve a purpose, but they're not aggressive. They don't file complaints. Um, most of the people that work for that program are volunteers. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a failure system, in my opinion. Yeah, so Carol, where do you get your funding? Well, the first 20 years, I funded it myself because I, I had the funds then because I was in the software business and did pretty well. But then after 20 years, I couldn't do it anymore. I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. I was always a nonprofit, 501c3 nonprofit organization since the day I started, but I never, I never accepted funds for 20 years. Now we're totally supported by the public. And we have, like, we, like I said, we've served over 8,500 families that we've documented. Some people call here and we don't even document their calls because they're mm-hmm. quick answers to help people. Um, so, you know, so we're totally funded by the public. Now, it doesn't, that's how we it get. seems to me like it doesn't just apply to nursing homes, but also any care facility, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, over the years, when I started this, there were no assisted living facilities. Or mm-hmm. now these residential care homes, which are called six beds. So there's, uh-huh. there are people that, that are private homes that take care of like six people. Right. That all that whole industry started when this whole uh, population started aging. So that industry started. That industry wasn't around when I started this work. And uh, assisted livings. In California now, because most of our complaints are in California because we're headquartered here, but every single state has their own regulations, mm-hmm. and they're, uh, so in California, there are two separate uh, agencies. The Department of Public Health uh, investigates and monitors skilled nursing facilities. Community care licensing under Department of Social Services monitors and licenses residential care facilities and assisted living facilities in California. Now, in other states, they might have one department that handles both of those, but it's it's on an individual state basis where mm-hmm. you file a complaint and, and who's monitoring that industry. So if you're in New York, you know, you got to find out... Um, 
what agency monitors the nursing homes and the assisted livings, and we have that information on our on our uh, website. Our website for each state so, you have. Yes, for each state. That's great. So we have a yeah. So you can go there to our website and look at what state you're at. Plug that in, and it'll give you the information of what agency to call if you have an issue and you want to file a complaint. And also, you can always call our office. Anybody listening can call our office because we have that information that we can pass on to, you know, people that call our office. But it's, at it's what a, point, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was no. going to say, at what go point ahead. do you get involved with a family? Well, as, as soon as we get a phone call, obviously we're involved. But w- when it gets to the point where it's a complaint, we take over as their representative. So we represent the client base that wants to file complaints with the states. So we take that on that responsibility, and we file the official complaints with the state agencies. And then we have a system in place in our office, our database in our office, that we track all the complaints. So we file complaints all over the country. Not as much as we do in California, obviously, because we're headquartered here, but uh, and we're more well, more well known in California. But we file complaints all over the country, um, and that's one of the services. And we also empower the family to know what their rights are. It's very important that people know what their rights are under right. the federal and state nursing home regulations. So they know what their rights are. So when they go into a facility and the operator. Uh, is telling them one thing that's really in conflict with what the actual uh, regulations are, the family knows that. So that's the kind of services we provide. Um, We get involved with conservatorships. Uh, I got involved with that way back in 1986. We took a case on national television that was about a conservatorship, which has now really raised its head, especially on the Britney Spears matter. Mm-hmm. So we got involved also in conservatorship abuse and um, just recently did a five-part series with ABC News here uh, on conservatorships that we have that on our website as well, all five, all five segments of, because a lot of people are being conserved now and that system also needs to be looked at. So those are the kind of things we do, and um, we write letters on behalf of clients that need, you know, reimbursement from monies that are owed to them because the facilities don't reimburse money if a patient dies mid-month and, you know, th- those types of things. But our main thing is is to hold the facilities accountable for any type of abuse and um, to take the action necessary to hold them accountable this is, has nothing to do with lawsuits. It's just the you know administrative cases. A lot of clients don't want to sue. They don't want to go through that. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult because you have to resurrect all those horrible feelings of, of the abuse of what happened to your loved one. But sometimes, and I'd say the majority of the cases, the only way you're going to get any accountability or to hold the facility re, you know responsible for their terrible deeds is to sue them. And I'm not a litigious person, but when the regulators do not hold these facilities accountable and hold their feet to the fire for not only just uh, not abiding by their regulations, but when they cause terrible harm to our vulnerable citizens, they should be held accountable. And when you don't see that happening... (laughs) Yeah, I'm curious, uh, how, how do you have standing in all of these states to file a complaint? Oh, any, anybody can petition government. You don't have, I don't have to be a relative. You don't have to, you have the right as a citizen to petition government. So I, we have every right to file a complaint. Anybody can file a complaint. So, so that's part uh, of. Okay. So um, are the nursing homes that you contact with the complaint, are they generally resistant or do they? Oh, they seriously. hate me. <laughs> no, they, no, I never, I, 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 I started to deal more with the top people in, in the bigger chains. Actually, they turned me over to their lawyers, uh, mm. you know, to get things resolved. I mean, they, come on, let's get this resolved. They have your number, the, Carol. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, they do. Hey, but that's fine. That means I'm doing my job and I've made a difference. And, you know, these people have to be held accountable not only just because they're harming our most vulnerable citizens, but also they're spending a lot of our tax dollars 
that is not going to the care of that patient. And it's certainly not going to pay the lower level uh, people like the CNAs, who are the lowest people on the totem pole in nursing homes, and they do the most work. The money filters all to the top. And I've never met a poor nur- uh, I've never met a poor nursing home operator. They're all very wealthy. Um, a lot of the assisted living facilities are publicly held corporations. And whenever I give an address to a group, I always say, you know, if you're a shareholder, you better start looking what's underneath, underneath the roof. You know, you might invest this on these real estate investment trusts to make money, but what's going on in that facility? Are they harming people? I mean, why do you, would you want to be an investor and make money off the backs of our most vulnerable citizens? So, you know, full you know, disclosure, the, the, Carol, my daughter has been a supervisor at a nursing uh, chain for years, mm-hmm. probably 20 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't, wow. I don't have any details. Wow. Well, you know, I'm not saying that every single nursing home in this country is bad. I'm just saying that there's so many that are that it's very alarming. And for the government to take a lax, uh, lackadaisical position here is uncalled for. I mean, their, their duty, their sole responsibility in these agencies is to protect the health and safety of that patient. And the majority of people in nursing homes, especially the long-term care ones, are, you know, you go into a nursing home that's under Medicare. Then after so many days, Medicare doesn't take, you know, Medicare's over. They only pay for so, you know, 100 days and so many services. Then you either privately pay, which the industry can charge whatever they want, mm-hmm. which is fine. This, this is a, we're capitalists, so you can charge whatever you want running your business. Or you go on to uh, Medi-Cal in California, Medicaid in every other state. So you've got tax dollars that is going into this industry paying for, you know, uh, housing and supposedly taking care of all these vulnerable citizens that work to build this country. Hmm. And nobody's monitoring how the money is being spent. And I see a lot of fraud. I've turned over a lot of fraud cases to the regulators and it goes nowhere. So there's, there's that problem that our tax dollars are billions of dollars going into nursing homes every year. And nobody's really monitoring how they're spending the money. So what um, can you med- do with the regulators to, to change that picture? Well, tr- tried many, many times. I mean, I've done this work so long. I've gone, I went to Washington. I can't tell you how many times I've been to Washington to uh, testify. I brought an investigator from the state of California that, that testified. Uh, uh, they hid her identity because she was afraid of losing her job that testified how she was not allowed to uh, sanction nursing homes. Certain ones got protected. And we brought that all to the attention of the U.S. Senate Subcommittee on Aging. It went nowhere. I mean, I've been shocked as a citizen of this country to see who gets protected here and who who doesn't get protected. And, Hmm. um, you know, my family, a lot of families, my family came here from the old Yugoslavia, worked hard. My aunt worked really hard. She owned a couple of restaurants. She had the money. Uh, to pay privately. She didn't go on the dole, and yet this is what happened to her right in front of our faces. So this is still going on, and now during the COVID, oh, my goodness, um, it was really bad. And I wrote an op-ed piece that was published a couple months ago about Governor Cuomo in New York and how he handled the nursing home crisis Mm -hmm. and also Governor Newsom and how both of them failed us in protecting the nursing home patients. I'm very jaded. Um, I, I, during this COVID period of time, I've had a lot of family members call that were very upset. They couldn't see their family members. They thought they were not getting any care. They didn't have staffing. But see, nobody was going in. The families right. were not allowed in, so they could, you know, families are the ears and the eyes to protect the patient, and they weren't allowed in. And a lot of, I can't tell you how many, uh, I got 911 out of nursing homes into acute hospitals, into the emergency room, and these people did not ever have the COVID. But the hmm. facility said they did, and they got more money. See, they got more money. If you say your patient had COVID, then the, the reimbursement from the federal government was more money. 
So I'm very jaded. I think that the numbers that, that um, are floating around about how many people died in nursing homes, I don't believe it. I really don't. I had too many people with bed sores, malnutrition, dehydration, hematomas of the brain, falls. And these are the kind of complaints we file. We do not file complaints on poor food in nursing homes. Quite the opposite. For years, I would file complaints about uh, unsanitary conditions in nursing homes. Mm -hmm. And the state of California, in particular, uh, just poo-pooed that away and ignored it. And then all of a sudden now, the COVID and now, you know, uh, no uh, oversight on on the... um, you know, sanitation and uh, in facilities all of a sudden got looked at. But for years, I filed complaints about it and right. sanitary conditions that I took pictures myself of when I was going into nursing homes a lot. You know, I would see things. I'd say, oh, my God, this is horrible. And I would take a picture of it. And mm-hmm. the, state, the state said, we can't use your pictures. Why not? Uh, oh, because they have to be the ones that see it. Oh, uh, believe me, this has been an experience that I don't wish on anybody. I fight the regulators more than I do the industry. That's they, incredible. It is. It's really incredible. And, you know, I just recently, uh, we had a situation here in Sacramento, California, uh, but uh, six, eight weeks ago, uh, a 91-year-old woman, severely demented, um, she was being taken care of by a family member at her home, and it was near the fires up in Northern California. Oh, my gosh. So they had to evacuate. Poor mm-hmm. woman goes into a hotel, and she's totally confused, as you know, a lot of uh, dementia patients are. They, they, they don't like change, and they get all confused. And then on top of that, she developed a UTI, so that she ended up in a hospital for treatment, and the, the recommendation was, well, maybe she should go into a facility and get some rehab before she's allowed to go back into her home. Luckily, their house did not burn down, but she couldn't go back there. So after two days, of course, the family can't get in to see her because there is still the COVID. Mm -hmm. And they thought something was wrong. She was acting weird. The granddaughter thought she saw bruises on her legs. So she finally got into her grandmother's room and put a camera in. That very night, on video, we caught the... Uh, one of the aides pulling her hair, slapping her face, physically abusing her. Really? Well, needless, oh yeah. Needless to say, that person is arrested, got arrested. I hopped on that immediately. The family called me. I filed the official complaint immediately with the state regulators. Um, that person got arrested. But the worst of it was, and this is where investigators maybe come in and do background checks is the perpetrator that was in the room that did not physically hit this woman but watched it. Both of those women were fired immediately. These were women? They were two women uh, fired. They were both fired. And the one that was on caught hitting her and pulling her hair and putting a towel over her head and taunting her, it was horrible. She got arrested. She did not have a past record. But the other one that was working in there was a felon, and she had just gotten off probation, but she had been working, and this is an assisted living facility, and it's public record, it was a Brookville, Brookville facility, one of the largest nursing home, uh, sorry, assisted living chains in the country, publicly held corporation. She, they applied for her to get a license, and the state of California did not issue her a license because she had to apply for a, a waiver and a special type of license because she was a felon. They never did it, but they what hired her. What was her, her felony? Anyway. Do you know? Well, here's what we, and I, and the only thing I know about it, because the investigator that works with me, she found it, but we could not figure out what it was. It was a violation, and she was uh, aiding and abetting another person to commit a felony. So we don't know what that felony was, but the district attorney here in Sacramento is pulling out all these records, and I have not found out yet what she was uh, charged with initially, this other perpetrator. She should be arrested as well because she, she be. aided yeah. and abetted this yep. woman. You know, she, 
she watched it and never reported it and didn't stop it. So that hasn't happened yet. I hope it will. But that was because the granddaughter thought something was wrong, put the camera in. Now, cameras and facilities is a big issue. The industry fights it. They don't want it. My thing was, okay, and I did, when I went to Washington several times about this, put the cameras in the hallways. You know, there is an invasion of privacy in somebody's room. But put them in the hallway. Start with the hallway because you can see who's going in and out of the room. You know, there's cameras all over the world now, everywhere. You can't go anywhere without a camera watching you. So why not put a camera in the hallway of one of these facilities so you can see who's going in and out? But see, the industry doesn't want that because if there's a schedule for medication, if there's, you know, they're supposed to be turning patients that can't turn themselves to prevent bed sores, uh, there's medications that have to be, you know, administered, food has to be delivered, it'll be all ca- caught on camera. The yeah, industry doesn't sure. want that. Carol, we need to take a quick break. Oh. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com need to hire a private investigator ask for their professional association affiliations when an investigator asks francie kaler about associations she says to first join a state trade association francie belongs to the california association of licensed investigators or cali it's the largest association of its kind in the world cali's main focus is networking training and legislative advocacy if you need a detective in california contact cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350- C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to PIs Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to F R A N C I E at PIsDeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. I'm back with my guest, Carol Herman. She Uh, is the founder, president, and chair of the board for the Foundation Aiding the Elderly. It's a grassroots advocacy organization to assist the public with their relatives and friends in their long-term care facilities. And she's been telling us some just astonishing stories. And I want to go back to this the story you just said about the, the woman that was being abused in the nursing, or in the, yeah, in the nursing home. Assisted living. Mm-hmm. Assisted living. living, yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it sounds hmm, she was in assisted living, even though she right. was severely dement- demented. Oh yeah, well, the the uh, a lot of these uh, assisted living facilities, you know, like the Brookdale's, the Atria's, the Sunrise facilities, they have a special unit for memory care. Right, that's what my it's mother. Not was like in. a nursing. Right, yeah, it's a, it's a memory that's carry. The same, right, same situation. Right, so they do have um, you know memory care units. Uh, there's you know people that can live on their own. They just need assisted living, and some of these places have three levels. Um, you know, 
independent, assisted, and then a memory care. So that's that particular situation uh, where she was abused uh, happened in an assisted living facility, a Brookdale facility. And it was, a, it was really quite ugly, and the, the woman died uh, just this last Sunday. She passed away. So... Yeah, I'm, I, I'm very familiar with this. My mother was in assisted care and then moved into memory care at a facility. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Was well taken care of, however, I have to say. Um, but um, well, like I said, there are a lot of facilities that do give good care. Unfortunately, I don't get those good calls. Uh-oh. Right, of course, I've never you had don't. a good call. I mean, <laughs> I've never had anybody call here in all these years that said, "Gee, I had a wonderful experience in this facility." Never. It's always people looking for help. So, you know, I have to. I try not to be jaded, and when I leave my office every night, I try to, you know, meditate for ten minutes when I get home because the things that come across my desk every day are horrific stories. I mean, horrific things. I see terrible pictures. You know, I have to report these to the regulators. So it's, uh, I had to learn to adjust that if I didn't, you know, if it was going to put me under and make me have a nervous breakdown, I couldn't do this work. So I worked on that for years that I would, you know, I'm very passionate about it. I help my families, uh, you know, best I can, but I have to, uh, you know, try to wipe it out of my, my memory at night because it's just, uh, it's very disturbing. Yeah. Very disturbing. <laughs> Considering that the, all the problems my mother caused the facility, like, you know, leaving the water running in her kitchen and flooding the entire apartment and the one below oh, her boy. and things like that, you know, um, uh, they were very kind to her. They really were. Well, that's good. I mean, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there that got good care. You know, I had knee double knee replacement surgery several years back, and I was very nervous about, well, I didn't go into a rehab, but I was just nervous going into the acute hospital because we filed complaints against acute hospitals, too. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. was kind of concerned that I wasn't going to get good care. Of course, as soon as they knew who I was, yeah. uh, boy, they, <laughs> yeah, they bend over backwards. But, you know, everybody should be getting good care. And, That's right. you know, most of these facilities, the problem is, is they're not staffed. They are not staffed, and they. But the facilities still get paid, you know. And the wages uh, are still very get, low. They're minimum wage. At the, the low end, their, at the low the end, CNAs. Yeah, they're underpaid. They can go to McDonald's and make more money. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is just atrocious. Now in California, I worked on legislation oh, quite uh, practically since day one of increasing funding to the facilities to pay the staff, not really realizing in the early days that there was plenty of money, but it stays at the top. And during mm-hmm. my investigations over these years, found out exactly what was going on in these facilities, and the money, big money, stays at the top. So I resent that. I mean, I don't care if the, if the industry makes profits. I mean, I'm, I believe in that. However, not at the expense of, of harming our mothers and fathers. That, that's just despicable. Mm-hmm. But they, they've been getting away with it for years. So uh, how do you, when you get a complaint, uh, how do you go in and do you go in and investigate? Do you hire an investigator? No. How does that work? No. Um, um, I don't. I don't go in and investigate. What I do is I interview the family members and any other witnesses that can attest to the care that happened in that facility. I file the complaint and make all the allegations. The duty of the Department of Public Health that goes in and to investigate—that's their duty to go in there, pull the records, review the records. And in California, I don't think this is all over, but in California, all the investigators are nurses. So, hmm. which is, it has, it's good and bad because a lot of times they like to protect their industry. And of course. They go in and review records and do record review and out, I believe an outcome. If a, if a person goes into a nursing home for rehab and they've got clear skin and all of a sudden they've got stage four bed sores, that is automatic neglect. Right. So I go by outcome, and but sometimes the, the officials they don't. 
they'll make excuses for the for the facility. Well, that person was had diabetes compromised. I went, so what? I'll bring a nurse on on the witness stand that says just the opposite. Bed sores are preventable, and bed sores are preventable, whether you've got diabetes or not. Uh, do you ever wound care? It, go ahead. Yeah. Do you do you ever work with attorneys that are filing lawsuits against the nursing facility? Oh. oh. Exactly, I do. When I, you know, like I said, I had lawyers in my family, and when my brother, when we, you know, we didn't want to sue, I went to the regulators. Well, then when the regulators did what they did and lied and didn't, they destroyed my complaint. My brother at the time, now we're going back to, this happened around 1983 or 4. We just said, well, the state didn't do anything, and my brother said, well, I'm going to look into filing a lawsuit against them. Maybe they'll pay attention. So my brother came up, there was no, California has an elder abuse law now that makes it much easier to sue a facility if the patient died. If the patient died, you had no lawsuit back in 1982. Hmm. So my brother filed this lawsuit and he had all these uh, accusations and named all these laws that we lost that case because my aunt died. Because at the time, if the party died, you had, your lawsuit died too. Well, now in California, the, the uh, complaint that he filed with all the allegations and the codes is being used now in California. And oh, that good was for him. Many, well, it was another lawyer that did that, that got the uh, law passed and changed when they did the elder abuse law in California. My brother wasn't involved in that. But the way he, he filed that lawsuit and the claims that he made against, you know, certain health and welfare codes and all that, uh, is what they're being used today. But it didn't help us in our lawsuit because my aunt had died. Right. Now, now, if the patient dies, you still have a right to sue. And so I'm not, I see- like I said, uh, you know, I, uh, most of the lawyers in, this, in Sacramento area, I got into the business because I started going to them and saying, you know, uh, we need we need these lawsuits filed because there's no nobody's being held accountable because the state the state wasn't doing it the regulators weren't they weren't holding the industry accountable and you know to give a Brookdale or uh, any other you know like a nursing home give them a ten thousand dollar fine is nothing to them that's pocket change it's nothing so and then the states weren't even sanctioning them so. Uh, then the ADACVA law in California got passed, and by, uh, there was an attorney by the name of Mark Hankins who was very instrumental in doing that, and that was probably 20, 23 years ago. I lose track of time. So now there are, there are a lot of lawsuits being filed all over the country now against nursing homes or uh, you know, elder abuse type nurse uh, claims. Right. I've, I noticed that you uh, testified a couple times um, before the Little Hoover Commission. What has yes, happened I with did. that? Well, again, all this work was done. It got published in their uh, findings, all that. Went in front of, I remember the first time I went in front of the Little Hoover Commission, I had a picture of a woman's body from the morgue that she died from bed sores. And uh, she was the one under conservatorship, too. And I went to the Little Hoover Commission, and that was in itself a, a very difficult task for me because they would not let me testify. Because, hmm. see, they knew I was going to bring out the horror stories in nursing homes, and they didn't want to hear it. But I had a friend of mine who was a, a judge who got appointed to the Little Hoover Commission. And I called him, and I asked him, I said, you know, they're not letting me testify. And he goes, well, I'll, I'll take care of that. Within the next, the next hearing for the Little Hoover Commission, I testified, and I showed a picture of her body, and they were all horrified. Oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. But they never, nothing ever happened. Mm. I mean, there's, it's still going on today. I had a colleague in Chicago whose father uh, was dementia, and she put him in a facility, and at the time it was a Beverly Enterprise uh, facility in Chicago area, and they sold her a bill of goods to the point where she bought stock in the company because they were publicly traded. And they mm. were headquarters of all places, Fort Smith, Arkansas, when uh, President Clinton was the governor there. Mm-hmm. And they were headquartered in his state. And uh, after, I don't know, her father was in there, I don't know how long, but not, not even a year, 
Well, she bought stock in the company because they sold her a bill of goods. She said, oh, this is a wonderful place, and I'll, I'll invest in this. And uh, within a year, her father was dead from bed sores. So she went to a shareholders meeting because she bought stock in the company, and she showed pictures of her father's stage four bed sore that killed him. And they were so outraged in the shareholders meeting that they had her arrested. Really? She was arrested, yes. And she was arrested and jailed. And I read this little blurb about her, and I contacted, oh, this goes back <clears throat> probably 26, 27 years ago. And I contacted her, and she and I became very close colleagues. And she was the one who really was pushing for cameras. She did not build an organization like I did, but she had her little group, and she did, you know, in Illinois, she tried to get laws passed, and she would meet me in Washington, D.C. to try to get laws regulated. And, but she was like the grandmother to get ner- uh, cameras in nursing homes. Never happened. And then she passed away several years ago. So she didn't live long enough to see cameras in nursing homes, which was unfortunate. But so yeah. see, you just have to know what's going on. You have to be vigilant. You have to always check your family member's body. So that's what I was going to ask you next because we were going to have we only have a few minutes left. What should family members look for, and how should they deal with it? Well, what they should look for is that they should be very vigilant. Uh, they and they should know, like in the nurse in skilled nursing under the federal law. You have the right to go in and see your family member 24-7. So the patient has the right to have family members come in 24-7. There are no um, visiting hours for family members. Now, for friends and all that, they, they do. They have visiting hours, but not for family. Even with uh, COVID? I would recommend... Even with COVID? Well, now, COVID, that's another story. But I'm talking... Now the COVID is all lifted. So there are yeah. no restrictions now going on in nursing homes in this country. I just got that notice last week okay. from Medicare. Right. <clears throat> so go in at any time during the day or night. Um, make a surprise visit at 3 o'clock in the morning um, because that's when a lot of problems are because the night shift is they never have enough staff to take care of patients at mm-hmm. night, never. So just know what your rights are. You can go in there, look at, don't believe anything that the facility tells you. Like if you ask them, well, is my mother got a bed sore? And they say, no, don't, don't rely on them. I, mean, I hate to say it, but you can't rely on them. You've got to look for yourself. And bed sores develop on the tailbone, the hips, the shoulders, and most people never look at the feet. I've had hmm. many clients die from bed sores on the heels of their feet or their, their heels actually fell off and when my one client took the, her husband's shoe off the heel of his foot was in the in the shoe oh my goodness so you just have to be aware of what can happen and i i'm a believer that anybody who goes into a long-term care facility is at risk for some type of harm and I, so I'm carol what that. is a first what is a first stage bed sore look like before it gets... It looks like a red spot. Just a red spot. It looks like a red spot. Mm-hmm. Then the, the next stage, will it'll show like maybe the skin's starting to break. Then on stage three, it, it does break open and it oozes like infection. Then a stage four is where you can see the bone. It's like a hole. It's like a hole. I wow. suggest that people look up bed sores on the internet um, to see what they look like so that they can spot them. And um, stage four bed sore usually is death. It's usually death. Incredible. Because it, uh, it gets septic and it, the blood poisoning. You know, one thing I would like to mention to your, your listening audience um, is I highly recommend that nobody ever sign an arbitration agreement. Oh, good point. And... Uh, arbitration agreements never allows you to be in front of a jury of your peers. And I worked for six years in the state of California on a, on a stakeholders uh, task force to develop the standard uh, licensing um, on mission agreement. And the reason it got held up for six years is because the industry fought like crazy to have that um, arbitration agreement in the standard agreement. 
Now, <clears throat> they finally did get it, of course, because they've got more money, they've got more power, they've got mm-hmm. lobbyists. And, right. But, I, it's, uh, but in a health agreement like that, it's supposed to be the first paragraph, and I always tell my clients, when you see that paragraph, exit out and initial, because that is not a part of the facility um, having you in as a patient. They cannot hold that against you for not really? finding... No, they cannot. It's against the law. That is really <clears throat> so good they advice, say, well, you, Carol. Yeah, if you cannot... You, you have to sign this arbitration clause or else you can't be a, a patient here. That's, that's not true at all. Okay. That is not so, true. Would you, would you like to tell folks how to reach you in case there's an, they have an issue uh, in their sure. family or in their state? Sure. They can go to uh, <clears throat> they can go to our website at www. the number four numeric four fate f a t e. dot o r g and there's a contact uh, page there that they can uh, contact us through the website or they can call our they can call our office at nine one six four eight one eight five five eight again it's nine one six four eight one eight five five eight and we help whoever calls, no matter what the issue is. I mean, even if it's not nursing home or long-term care um, matters, we help people no matter what, the, what their problem is, and we help them. We, just, we know what agencies to refer them to. You know, I had, I've had people call and say, gee, a, a contractor ripped me off for $10,000, and what do I do? Well, then, you know, contractor's board, or we will try to get the money for you from the contractor, um, we just help anybody who calls here. You know, that's just, just not terrific. I just, I am so impressed with the work you've done, Carol, and the advocacy oh, well. that that you've provided. It, I mean, it's just really amazing because you don't see that happening anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> people aren't you caring. Know, I, yeah, I, I was just determined. You know, when I, I grew up with three brothers, and my dad never, my parents never said, "You can't do that because you're a girl." So I mean, I just learned how to fend for myself. So I learned how to work them. in a man's. And, <laughs> pardon? You showed them. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, I've I've always been a person that what that has always wanted to right a wrong. Yeah. Whether it was my upbringing, yep. my parochial background of Catholic schools all my life, <clears throat> no matter what it was, I I just wanted to always right a wrong. Well, you're and doing really it. That. You're doing it, Carol, and and I appreciate you. So we have to give oh, up well, the line you. because we're through with our show today. Wow, so, that hour went by really fast. Yeah, it did. Uh, but thank you for giving your contact information, and for the rest of you, I hope this was ben- a beneficial to you. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler, and thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Francine. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 